Well, good morning, everyone. It is, uh, I agree, it is good to see you, Bonnie. I know it's been a long struggle over the past few weeks. It's good to see you, and I know that you have not been able to get out. You had to put up with Sam, and uh, our heart goes out to you for that. <laughs> and it's good to see Randy and Lindsay. I'm glad you're here. It's always, I sat in on your class and, and learned a few things. I, just be honest, never even considered, never even thought about the, the Muslim from birth, the Christian from birth. That is an interesting dynamic to say the least but I'm really glad it's kind of like God said you know in Genesis 1 he created this and he said it was good and he created this and it was good I am really glad to see Randy and Brenda uh Randy and Becky that's a shock to you isn't it it is really good to see y'all here I know it's been a long journey and I'm glad you're here and I'm glad that I knew that God would not give up on you. I'm glad you didn't give up on God. And uh, he has great things in store. It's great to see you. I, I love being in this place. Um, it's, a, it's a joy. It's a privilege to be able to stand here. Josh normally stands here, by the way. I'm Stoney Ramsey. I am not uh, Josh Ross. And I found one thing. Uh, there are a lot of differences between Josh and I. Apparently his head is much smaller than mine. Because this, I don't know if this mic is going to stay on or not. We'll see. If it doesn't, I'll walk down and grab one of the old-fashioned kind, and, uh, and we'll keep going. But it is good to be here. This place is sacred ground for me. It was on a stage in, in this proximity where Leanne and I were married some 30-plus years ago. It was this place that we brought each of our daughters into it was this place it was this village that helped raise our girls and <clears throat> many of you have been telling me you've been texting me uh, praying for me today and I, I appreciate that uh, between the time Kip started singing and, and finished I got texts from two of those daughters um, I'm sure the third one just forgot she's probably texted since I got up but offering encouragement it is really good to be here. I, lo I love Sycamore View. And I want to I echo what Mark said last week. God has smiled on this church with the ministers and the staff that we have here. Uh, not every, we take it for granted, but not every church has that. I also want to tell you about our shepherds. I'm fortunate to be one of those shepherds, but our shepherds love this church. And we want to be your shepherd. We want to take care of the things that you need us to help you with. So feel free at, at any time uh, to reach out. We have every last Wednesday night of the month, we'll gather together and invite anyone who'd like to come and pray with us. You can come pray for us. We will take that. But we will also pray with you. And if that's not a convenient time, you let us know. We'll come to you. Okay? But it's good to be here, and I thank you. I thank you for being here. We're in the middle of a of a, a study on Exodus in Exodus chapter thirty four. You know, God. We don't read a lot in in Scripture. A lot of the conversations that God had with different people. Of course, we know that He had a conversation with Adam and Eve. We know that He had a conversation with Cain. We know there were several that God spoke with, but <clears throat> there was also Moses who now in this particular passage is having at least his second 
conversation with God. Because you remember the first one, or at least the first one that we read about, uh, was over in the earlier part of Exodus around a burning bush. And that was a long conversation that God and Moses had. And basically, God wanted Moses to go to, to uh, Egypt where he was a wanted man and to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. Moses, you remember, came up with excuse after excuse. So that was an interesting conversation. Well, now there is another one about to happen. And I want to pick up with it in, in uh, Exodus chapter 33. <clears throat> and we're going to read through our, our text today. But in Matthew chapter 33, follow along with me in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me. Now when I read the Bible, I sometimes will... I may put inflection where there was none. I just, like, I just like to think about it happening this way. So Moses says to God, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and I have found favor. you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, this nation is your people. Dad, you ever said that to mom before? Or moms, you ever said that to dad? These are your children, okay? Moses is reminding God of that. Verse 14, the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him in verse 15, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And then Moses said, show me your glory. You got a picture here. Moses has an agenda. He wants to get through uh, this meeting, this conversation. So he says, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, Yahweh, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. And the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock and when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and cover you there with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Then we drop down to verse 5 of the next chapter. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and he stood there with him and proclaimed his name Yahweh. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God. And that's where we're going to spend our time today. Because as we think about God, and as, as Randy mentioned, and, and, and we've talked about here, there are many names for God. But I can't think of a name that I like more than the name of Father or the name of love. Now, some of you may struggle with that. Because of your history with your father, or with your mother, or with your family, you may struggle with that. And i got a word for you just, in just a few minutes. We're going to talk about that. But God says, my name is Yahweh. I am the compassionate and gracious God. This is the very first thing that God wants Moses to understand. Everything about God is important. 
Everything that God could possibly tell us obviously is important, but God said the most important thing is that you know that I am the compassionate and gracious God. That word compassionate there, it's also used in 1 Kings chapter 3. You remember the story. Solomon was king and two mothers had come to Solomon with a dispute. It seems that one of the mother's children had died in the night and that mother took her child who had died and put that child in the bed of the other mother and took the living baby so they had a dispute so they came before Solomon and the mother told that story and Solomon said you say it's yours you say it's yours I can almost hear Solomon throwing his hands up and saying I'm tired of this here's what I'm going to do he called for a sword He said, I'm going to take this sword, I'm going to cut this baby in half, half will be yours, half will be yours. And the Bible says that one mother said, okay, if I can't have the baby, you can't have the baby. The Bible says that the other mother had compassion, compassion for the child, and said, no, no, give her the child. So you know how the story ends. Solomon realized that it was her child. It's also used in Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 15 where the Bible says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion for the child? Verse 16 says, God speaking, though she may forget, I I will not forget you. God will have that compassion. It's also used in Psalm 103 and verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So that word compassion that God uses, he says, I am Yahweh, I am the compassionate. It's much the feeling that, that you have for your children. It's that compassion, it's that desire to see good things for them. But I am the compassionate and I am the gracious God. So while compassion is more of a feeling, gracious or grace or mercy is more of an active participation. So not only do I have compassion on you, but I'm going to be involved in your life. I am going to show, practice that compassion in your life. It's the same word used in Exodus chapter 22 verses 25 and 26 where we're told there that if someone needs to borrow from us, don't be like the lenders. You lend them without interest. You help and you show mercy and you show grace to the poor. It's the same concept used in 2 Kings chapter 13 where the Israelites being oppressed by the king of Aram See that God looked upon them and He had compassion on them and He was gracious to them and He preserved them. It's also used by David in Psalms 86 and verse 15 where David cries out to God, Turn to me. God, turn to me and be to me gracious. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. So this idea that God is introducing here to Moses that he's sharing with us today, it is 
I am going to be compassionate. I am going to benefit you. I am going to be involved in your life. And I'm going to show mercy to you. If you're like me, I get concepts better through stories or movies. I didn't have time to make a movie of this, but I want to tell you a story. Okay? There's a book in the Bible that talks about an incident that happened. You remember it? You remember Jonah. Okay? I, I love the story of Jonah. <clears throat> How the God came to Jonah. He called him. He said, Jonah, I want you to go. And it's like, Jonah's like, yes, where? I want you to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was a wicked place. Nineveh's wickedness was legendary. And God said to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Now they had more of a conversation than we have recorded because Jonah would refer to it later, but we don't read about it in the first part. God says to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Nineveh wasn't that far. But Jonah decided that he knew better and he said, I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm going to get on a boat and I'm going to go, everybody remember, the other way. Okay? I'm not just going to go the other way. I'm going to go as far the other way as I can possibly go. So Jonah's on his way to Tarshish. And he's on this boat. And everybody remembers the story, right? God sends a storm. And the the the. the the sailors on this boat, they don't know what to do. So they asked Jonah, is there anything you could have done? And of course, Jonah's like, uh, yeah, but I don't have time to tell you about it. Just throw me overboard and the storm will stop. Well, they debated and they struggled, but finally they did and the storm stopped. And then God sent a big fish okay, to save Jonah. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been through some dark times in my life. I've been through some messy times in my life. I can't imagine anything any darker or any messier than the inside of the belly of a giant fish. Okay? That, to me, is just about as messy and as dark as you can get. But that's where Jonah found himself. And the Bible says that that fish spit Jonah up on shore, and Jonah decided... You know, I think I'll go to Nineveh. Okay? <laughs> so he goes to Nineveh and he begins preaching what God told him to preach. And he didn't preach. Repent or God's going to destroy you. That's not what he preached. He walked into that city and we're told it was a three-day walk across the city. And he said to those Ninevites, God is going to destroy you in 40 days. can't imagine... But if Jonah was like me, he probably said that with just a little bit of excitement in his voice. The Bible says that the people of Nineveh believed what Jonah was saying. And from the lowest chicken on the farm all the way to the king, they repented. They were in sackcloth and ashes. The Bible says that God relented and God spared them. Okay? Great story, right? Except Jonah was ticked about that. Jonah said, God did not, this is why I didn't want to go. Because I knew you are a compassionate and gracious God. Now, how about that? I'm going to rebuke God for being compassionate and gracious. 
I don't think Jonah thought that one through. But he said, I knew, I knew that you were going to relent and that you were going to spare the city of Nineveh. And I like this story because of the fish swallowing Jonah. That's just really cool. And, and that fish spitting Jonah back up, that's cool. And Jonah changing his mind and going, that's all cool. But the part I really love about Nineveh is I am Nineveh. Okay? I am Nineveh. I'm the one that sinned against God. I'm the one that had the prophet come to me and say, buddy, God's going to destroy you. You've got to turn around. You've got to follow God. There's another story about the compassion of God, and we see it in, in King David. You know, the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. And this is a story I used to share with my girls when they were little. Changed the name a little bit, but they still remember that story. And this is the story of when David came to power and now Saul is out, Jonathan's out, all of Saul's family is out. And David asked a simple question. He said, is there anybody left from Saul's family that I can bless? And they said, well, funny you should ask, but there's this one guy. His name is Mephibosheth. He's crippled. Okay? When he was a baby, they were trying to get or when he was young, they were trying to get out of the palace. As David was taken over, they dropped him. And he's been crippled since then. David said, call and get him here. Okay. So Mephibosheth, and, and you can only imagine, because when kings came to power, they annihilated the other kings, right? So you can only imagine as Mephibosheth here is having, having dealt with this all his life, and now he's been called before the king, and it's like, He's probably rehearsing his speech. King, I'm crippled. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a threat to you. Please don't. I don't know. But Mephibosheth comes into the company of David, and David tells him, I'm going to restore all of the lands of your fathers. I'm going to give you servants. And you are going to live in the palace and you are going to eat at my table. Now that's a cool story. Do you know why I love it? Because Mephibosheth is me, right? I was Mephibosheth. I was crippled by sin. Jesus came and Jesus said, I am going to restore you and I am going to let you live in the palace and you will sit at the king's table. That is the compassion and the graciousness and the mercy of Yahweh. This language of mercy, it's all over the Gospels. In Luke chapter 17, you remember the ten lepers uh, came before Jesus and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. You remember in the very next chapter, in Luke chapter 18, the blind lepers, uh, the blind man came and, and said, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Matthew chapter 17, the father of the demon-possessed boy came to Jesus, fell on his knees before Jesus and said, have mercy on my son. Okay? So this concept of mercy, it's, it's all over 
Scripture, and it's all over the Gospels. It's especially in Luke chapter 15. A story that I think we probably called wrong. We called it the the parable of the prodigal son. And that's okay. I don't want to mess your world up. You can keep calling it that. But I like to call it the the, the parable of the merciful father. Okay? Because you remember the story. The younger son, there's two sons, the younger and the older. The younger comes and says, Dad, I want my inheritance. Father gives him his inheritance. A few days later, he leaves. The Bible says he goes away into a faraway country. He spends it. The old King James is what I learned it in. He spent it on riotous living. Okay? Partying. Probably some of us have spent a few days in riotous living. But he wasted it all. There was a severe famine in the land. He got hungry. And the Bible says, this may be a matter of interpretation, the Bible says he would have eaten the husk that he was feeding the pigs. But no one would give him anything to eat. So he comes to his senses. He says, I know what I'll do. It's kind of like Jonah after he got spit up chewed up, spit up, onto the land, this young man says, here's what I'll do. I'll go back to my father. And I will tell him, I'm no longer worthy to be your son, but I want to be one of your servants. Because at least they don't go hungry. And they get to sleep inside when it rains. So he rehearses the speech in his mind, and he heads back towards home. And the Bible says, while he was yet a far way off, the father saw him. And I I can imagine the love and compassion that filled that father's heart because of what I hear in the rest of the story. But as he looked a far way off and he saw the silhouette, which tells me that the father had been looking for, God is looking for us. But he saw far way off, and as he got closer, he said, Dad, that's my son. He did not wait for the son to get to him. He ran to the son. And the son, bless his heart, he starts his speech. I mean, my goodness, he's prepared this, right? I'm going I'm to say this. Dad, you've got to hear this. And he said, I'm not worthy to be your son. The dad says, don't care about that. I don't even know if you heard it. He says, bring the robe and put on him, kill the fatted calf. We're having a party. My son, who was dead, lives again. Folks, that's the compassion and the grace and the mercy and the love of Yahweh that he talks about when he says, I am the compassionate and gracious God. That turns our world upside down because I no longer have to come before God based on what I've done. I don't have to come before God based on what has happened to me, what has been done to me. I can come before God based on His compassion and based on His graciousness and based on His love for me. Who He is has huge implications for us. I think you'll agree with me, the world needs more mercy. There are people that we come in contact with every day that needs mercy. God does not call us 
just to be amazed and thankful and grateful for His compassion and His grace. Though He does call us for that. He calls us to more. He calls us to be compassionate and to be gracious to those around us. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 36, the Bible says, Be merciful as your Father is merciful. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12, God's cho- As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness. That sounds familiar. I can't talk about anything without going to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another. How? Forgiving one another. Just a word about forgiveness. This is not theology. This is just practical living. To God, forgiveness is about forgiving. To me, when I forgive you, forgiveness is for me as much or more than it is for you. God is calling us to be compassionate and to be merciful and to be forgiven. Romans chapter 12 and verses 6 and 8, Paul says, you've been given many gifts. If you've been given the gift of mercy, give mercy cheerfully. God has called you, and he has, to give mercy and give mercy cheerfully. I love the words of James chapter 2 and verse 13. James says, mercy triumphs over judgment. There's enough people to judge. We all deal with them. There's enough people who are going to pass judgment on me about things I might say or do or think. I need mercy. I don't need judgment. There's never a shortage of those needing mercy. People are calling out for us to show them mercy. I've got a list of about 25. You could probably add 50 to it. We should show mercy to the unborn. We should show mercy to the orphan. We should show mercy to the widows. And as we used to sing in vacation Bible school, we should show mercy to the red and yellow, black and white, and brown, and all ethnicities. We should show mercy to each other. We should show mercy to the difficult people. To my coworker who is hard to work with, we should show mercy to our spouse, especially, and our children. To my neighbor, to our parents, we should show mercy to the janitor that is coming in to spend their night cleaning my office as I'm leaving. We should show mercy to the one who makes your coffee every morning. To the waitress that is working her third job of the day to support her children. We should show mercy to those battling addictions and to those battling specific sins. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I should show mercy, God says, to those I disagree with. You know, God does not call us to always agree. Do you you realize that? That's a really cool thing. We're not all going to think the same way on every single question. God does not call me to agree with you, but God does call me to be compassionate and merciful to you. And by the way, 
My theology never, ever gives me license to treat you with anything but compassion and mercy. If my theology allows me to treat you disrespectful and without compassion and without mercy, it's bad theology. I should show mercy to the person at the counter who gets your order wrong. I'll put that in there for me. Okay? I should show mercy to my enemies, to those who would do evil against me, to those who would steal from me. I noticed on my credit card statement a while back that somebody had, had uh, I don't know what you call it, hijacked or whatever, my credit card and had ordered Netflix. Okay? And apparently they'd given it to several of their buddies because there was like a $15.99 charge. Everybody's going to go look at your credit card statement, right? There was a $15.99 charge. So I'm like, ah. Well, the inconvenient part is you got to get your credit card stopped and started, and you know all that story. So anyway, Madison happened to be home, and I was talking to the lady on the phone, and she said, well, that is, that is obviously fraudulent. We'll stop that. And she made the comment. She said, man, they're watching a lot of Netflix. And I said, well, I hope they're in the middle of a really good movie. And you cut them off, and they don't get to see the end of it. So I'm telling Madison this story, and she's like, well, that's not very nice. I'm like, Matt, they stole from me. Well, I don't care. That's not very merciful. That's not very nice. And I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm a minority in a sorority. I learned a long time ago, just shut up. And put the shovel down and stop digging. So I said, you're right. I'm sorry. I repent of that. But we should show mercy even to those who steal from us. Let's show mercy to the poor. Let's show mercy to the homeless, to the unwanted. Let's show mercy to Memphis. Let's show mercy to all of the world. That's what God is calling us to do. You know, I was fortunate Way back in the early part of the 1960s, I was born into a family with a dad and a mom, and I was the trial child. I was the first one. You know, they didn't know anything about it till I came along. I taught them everything they know <laughs> and things they wish they'd forgotten about raising children. <clears throat> but I was fortunate. I was lucky. I was born to a father and to a mother who loved me, who provided for me, who nurtured me, who taught me the stories about Noah and Jonah and Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Jesus. And I never spent a day of my life wondering, you know, I wonder if my mom and dad love me. I never spent a night crying over some verbal or physical abuse. I was fortunate. But I know as I look across this crowd, in a, in a crowd this size, there are people who weren't that Fortunate, And sometimes the idea, the concept of God being my Father, they kind of cringe, they kind of step back from that because the experience they've had with an earthly father or an earthly mother, it's like if that's what God is offering me, I don't want that. That's not what God is offering us. I'd like to go ahead and ask the shepherds and prayer leaders if you'd go ahead uh, to your places.
Yahweh said to Moses, He said, I am the compassionate and gracious God. I can't think of any way that God demonstrates this without thinking about His relationship to me as my Father. The psalmist said in Psalms 34, Come and taste of the Lord and see that He is good. Your father, your mother may have never had time for you. And though that breaks my heart, I want to tell you that Yahweh will forever have time for you. His word says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And the Apostle Paul said in, in uh, Romans chapter 28, or Romans chapter 8, that there is nothing that can separate me from the love of God, that he will always have time. Maybe you were never good enough for your father, your mother. You're good enough for Yahweh. You see how at just the right time, while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Maybe, maybe you were abused by your mom and dad physically or verbally. Listen to me, this is very important. You are an object of love and devotion for Yahweh. He so wants to have relationship with you. Maybe you've wondered if your mom or dad even loved you. Yes, Yahweh loves you. He loved me so that He was willing to send His only begotten Son that I might live. Your father or your mother may not have valued you, but God does. Matthew tells us that two sparrows were sold for a coin and God has mercy on them. He will have mercy on us to the point that the very hairs of our head are numbered. Perhaps you were never special to your earthly father. You are tremendously special to this Yahweh. You are a chosen generation you are a holy nation. The Bible says you are His own special people. You may not have a good history with your Father, but I challenge you to come and to taste of the Lord, for He is good. If there's anything we can do for you today, come down and talk to Doyle. If you just want prayers, there are shepherds and prayer leaders in the back on the sides. If we stand and as we sing, make your needs known so that we can